Hello, friends. Welcome to the Spots of Time podcast with me, your host, Kim Scott. Thank you for joining in for just a little inspiration to empower hope and healing for yourself and for others. So let's get started. Hey, everyone. Today's episode drops on Friday, February 9th, which happens to be the day of my daughter's 19th birthday. So today is a special episode. It's all about how I came to be a mom. I had hoped to record this episode with my daughter's birth mother, and I prayed about it because honestly, I wasn't sure. And as it turns out, even though we planned a couple of times to do the recording, the timing just never aligned. So I think God was answering my prayer. (laughs) And I think he just wanted me to tell my story of answered prayer. So here goes. I hope you enjoy. Preparing for this episode, I have spent weeks (laughs) upon weeks reading through emails that I sent and emails I received with the adoption agencies that we uh, were in contact with, as well as other agencies um, through the process of our journey to adoption, and emails both sent and received from our birth mother. So let me share a little bit about my background. I never thought I would be married. I think I said in previous episodes that I didn't have good role models for lasting marriages, for loving marriages, and I didn't want to settle for less. I didn't want to live a life that I detested. But as God would have it, I met a man on the first day I started a part-time job, uh, kind of a a real job, I thought. (laughs) And when I was introduced to him and I shook his hand, I heard a voice like somebody was standing right next to me that said, this is the man you will marry. Well, nine years later, we married. I was 35. And at the reception, (laughs) people were already asking when we were going to get pregnant. It's so crazy. I mean, we just got married. But I think society puts such pressure on people to have children. And as a person of faith, church puts undue pressure on couples to have children, to build a family. Well, after years of not getting pregnant, we started reading and started trying to, like really trying to get pregnant. But each month, I, even though I felt like I was pregnant, I was like, I think I'm pregnant. And we would go and get a stupid pregnancy test. And each month, the answer was no. I found out in 2003 that we would not be able to conceive. I was given the diagnosis of endometriosis. And the fertilitist said, I had old eggs. (laughs) But you know, at the time, it was heartbreaking. It was devastating news. I was immediately angry, angry with myself, angry with God, angry at the world, everyone. I told two people, 
I told my mom and I told one of Gary's sisters, uh, one who was the closest to me. And I just have to share like a couple of things that, you know, people do, I think, out of love and kindness, but things that hurt, you know, someone especially who wants something so desperately and can't have it. But I was at a family gathering a few months after receiving this devastating news. And my sister, who already had four kids, looked like she was pregnant again, but they didn't say anything. No one said anything. And it was weird. And I thought, don't you think I would know, even though I can't have one of my own, I certainly know when someone is pregnant. And then on Mother's Day that year, and going to church on Mother's Day is brutal. Usually they have some kind of special blessing for all the mothers. And, you know, I would sit there year after year after year while all the people that I knew, all the people I I was friends with, got to stand up because they had one child, two children, a whole flock of children. But that year, my sister-in-law came over to me and she made me stand up. And I said, no. And she's like, you're like a godmother to my daughter. And I was like, first of all, like a godmother? I wasn't even her godmother. And I stood there just completely embarrassed and hurt and angry. And then at some point in all of this, a man at church, somebody that we we liked, cared about, said to Gary and I, stop being so selfish and have children already. (laughs) Now today, looking back, I get that they were trying to protect my feelings trying to protect my heart. But I was angry, and that anger grew into a heavy bitterness. I can't even explain, but it changed me. It really did. Now, I had thought about the possibility of adoption, and I had mentioned the idea to Gary at some point, I don't remember, But he wasn't ready. He wasn't sure. We had heard stories about adoptions gone wrong. And obviously, we didn't want that to be our story. But about a year later, I can't recall exactly when it was, in April or May of 2004, I had a vivid dream that we had a daughter. And in the dream, she was three or four years old, and she looked just like us. But in the dream, I knew she had been adopted. Well, I couldn't shake the dream. I shared it with Gary, and, you know, he thought, okay, interesting dream. (laughs) But then weeks later, over the first weekend in June, He and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary, and we went away, and one of the nights that we were just talking and reminiscing about the 10 years of our marriage and just how great things were, our relationship was good, our life together was good, but we both admitted that it felt sort of incomplete. Well, I suggested, again, looking into adoption. Well, Gary was ready. He agreed. Well, he agreed that I should do some research. (laughs) So he said, okay, because I wasn't working at the time. And like I said, this was over the weekend. And he said, okay, on Monday, why don't you look into it? Start doing some research and 
then let's talk about it. Well, Monday, June 7th, (laughs) 2004, the moment I got up, I spent the entire day researching online about adoption. And that evening when Gary came home from work, I pounced. I was like, okay, I did some research and I kind of want to walk you through everything. And I swear, I mean, if, you know, I'm exaggerating here a little bit, but I had a huge stack of printed materials (laughs) to go through with him. I'm sure he thought, wow, (laughs) she is serious. Now that day is significant. Monday, June 7th. 2004. Because on that same day, our birth mother went to the doctors to confirm her pregnancy. Isn't that crazy? Like our journeys really started on the very same day. And on that day, immediately, she says she knew that if her baby survived, She was going to give her up for adoption. The doctors weren't sure that the baby would survive because our birth mother had the gastric bypass surgery. And so there was a concern that the baby wouldn't have or get enough nutrients to survive the first trimester. So Monday, June 7th, 2004, our journey began. We decided probably later in the month to submit an application to one of the agencies that we had researched. Our application was denied. This was all via email, all online. When I emailed to ask why, they said that it wasn't their policy to share the reasons why. Uh, The applications were denied, but we suspected that it was our ages. I was 45 and Gary was 42. Now, of course, there was disappointment because I thought, well, maybe our ship has already sailed and we're too old. (laughs) But we applied to another agency. We were denied again. But I was relentless, and I just, I don't know, had a strong sense, a strong feeling that this was it, that this was supposed to be our path to becoming parents. Well, on July 20th, we applied to yet another agency. The agency was called Adoption Network Law Center. And crazy enough, it was a local agency in Orange County, California, where we lived. On August 2nd, we were approved and we started the paperwork process the next day. Now, it took about a month to complete the paperwork. It was grueling, the paperwork, really. To be approved for adoption, it is really a process. It is a process that includes them looking at your finances, uh, psych evaluations, references, fingerprinting, medical examinations, having social workers come in and, and check out your home. It was interesting. I remember writing in my journal that if this was required for all parents, there would definitely be a drastic decrease in population. But I get, I mean, I get why that's the process, because I'm sure there's crazies out there who are trying to adopt children. But the truth of the matter is, there's something to be said about the kind of preparation that we had to go through. And I truly believe that in some cases, it's 
a valid and necessary preparation, even for biological um, parents. Anyways, the adoptive parent counselor that we were assigned told us to get ready. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And she said, you know, you want to adopt a girl. You also want to adopt a biracial baby. Most of you know I am African-American and my husband happens to be Caucasian. And we wanted a child that looked like us. And so the counselor said that there are a lot of biracial children who are born, but everybody wants a child that looks like them. And the majority of the families who participated in their adoption agency were um, either Hispanic or Caucasian or um, African-American. But we were one of the few who were um, a biracial couple wanting a biracial baby. Now, as I mentioned last week, when this process started, a friend of ours gave me her rosary beads. She let me borrow them. And as I mentioned last week, I really needed to pray desperately. I needed some assurance that this was the right path, that this was going to work out, that we were going to have our baby girl. And so I started to pray. And I prayed Mary's prayer every morning. I used those beads and I prayed what's called the Hail Mary. And as I did, I prayed about our birth mother and our birth birth father. I prayed for our unborn baby girl. I prayed for the journey, the experience. I wanted it to be as close as possible to carrying our daughter within my own womb. In September, we were getting the house and our room and, well, the baby's room ready for a visit from the social worker. So Gary and I went to Home Depot (laughs) and we picked out the paint for the nursery. It was a super light lavender color, just so beautiful. And it was called Guardian Angel. Well, you know, we were Catholic. (laughs) And so guardian angels are special. You know, um, we are taught that we each have a guardian angel. And so I just thought this is so meant to be. So I got to painting. I painted during the day when Gary was at work. And when he got home, we would sit in the room and kind of um, celebrate what we had accomplished. And we would just spend time dreaming about and talking about the day that our daughter would come home and sleep in that room. Also that month, we picked our daughter's name. And it's funny because I I don't really remember distinctly, but I do remember this. We had narrowed it down to two names. One was Kiana. I don't know how that came to me, but it was, you know, obviously the K-I of my name. And then both of our mother's names um, are kind of a derivative of the name Anne. So I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And then the other name we had selected was Kiera, K-I-E-R-A. And we couldn't decide. And stupidly enough, I asked people their opinions. Well, you know, everybody has an opinion about names for kids. So one day as I was doing my daily prayer, it was inspired to combine the two names. And that's how we came to Kiara, K-I-A-R-A. 
I shared it with Gary when he got home and he loved it. And we just kind of kept saying it like, you know, like, how does it feel? How does it sound? And that just became her name. We already had decided on her middle name. We wanted Morgan. And truth be told, we actually wanted that for her first name. But we thought about nicknames and we thought Morg might be her nickname. And that just seemed kind of dark. (laughs) So her name became Kiara Morgan. Now, also in September, we got a call regarding a potential birth mother. She was African-American and was carrying a boy. Now, sadly, she had been raped and she wanted to give the child up for adoption. We talked about it, Gary and I, but obviously we had concerns. One, she wasn't sure what the race of the father was, nor did she know anything about him. And so we just thought we didn't want a child that was created out of anger. I don't know. I I, I just envisioned a child being created from love. And so for a number of reasons, we made the, the decision not to go forward on that one. And it was one of the hardest things to do. But somehow through prayer, I just knew it wasn't right. And I felt so strongly that we were going to have a girl. In early October, we learned about another birth mother who was seeking adoptive parents. Now, she was seeking adoptive parents. She had already given birth to her child, a boy. The parents that she had chosen decided not to move forward with the adoption because, unfortunately, the baby tested positive for cocaine. So as you can imagine, we decided to decline this opportunity as well. And it felt selfish of us. I remember really struggling with this. But again, I knew in my heart that our baby was going to be a girl. And we really wanted the circumstances to be such that she would have a fighting chance in life. Now, in October, early October, the opportunity for us to go away on a cruise vacation came up. Well, I was nervous. I didn't want to leave because, you know, I just thought, okay, we're going to be gone, and that's when the call is going to come. I was obsessed. (laughs) I spent my days checking emails relentlessly to be sure that we hadn't, you know, received any communication. I was afraid to leave the house for fear of missing the phone call. Well, Gary said we needed to get away and that it would be good for us. And it was. So we left for a cruise to Mexico on October 24th, and we returned on Monday. November 1st. And so while we were on vacation, of course, we talked about the baby. And and I told Gary that I had a strong feeling that this vacation was going to be our last couple's vacation for a really long time. Something inside of me just knew that news was coming soon. Well, when we got back, the first thing I did was I checked my emails and checked all of our messages on our landline. There were no updates, no calls, no emails. Gary had decided to take this week off so that we could get some things done in the nursery and just to relax and have some time together. On Wednesday of that week, we decided to go out for lunch. And as we sat there enjoying lunch, my cell phone rung. And I'm not sure why I even answered the call, but I did. And it was a woman who said 
She was a birth mother counselor, and she wanted to talk with us about a potential birth mother who was interested in us. Oh my gosh, if I could have screamed in the restaurant, I would have. So I just told her we were out having lunch, but we're wrapping it up and we would call her back within the hour. So we did just that. We wrapped up everything. We got in the car and made a beeline to home. And as we drove home, I told Gary, this is it. We talked to the birth mother counselor on speakerphone for almost an hour. She shared so many details about the birth mother. Her name was Angela. And I tell you, almost immediately, I thought, she's our angel. This is it. So we set up time to meet Angela over the phone. We decided to do this on Monday, November 8th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I took lots of notes. <laughs> I have lots of emails and all my journal books to capture this entire journey. And so that's why I can remember um, or I have notes um, as to the specific dates and times and things like that. Anyways, um, the birth mother counselor had sent pictures of Angela and her family, and we thought she was beautiful. And then Monday came, the call. It was crazy. So we were on speakerphone. The birth mother counselor was part of the call. And then Angela. Well, we talked for just about two hours. And there was never a moment of silence. We connected and just hit it off immediately. I realized that Angela and I had a very similar sense of humor, and we laughed so much during that phone conversation. It was Monday, and so, of course, it was Monday Night Football. And on our TV, we had the game on, but we had you know muted the sound. And so at one point, I, you know, raised that as just a point of conversation about how much I liked football. And Angela agreed that, you know, she really liked football, too. And she shared that um, she wasn't a Green Bay Packers fan who, you know, that team was playing that night, but that she really liked Brett Farr because he was so damn cute. And Gary just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I mean, and Angela was like, what did I say? And Gary said, that's just so crazy because Kim likes quarterbacks because they're handsome. (laughs) And so it was just like, um, gosh, such a connection. And, And beyond that, there were so many similarities between Angela and myself uh, what Gary and I liked, what she liked. Um, it was just, uh, honestly, a match made in heaven. During the conversation, Angela asked if we had chosen a name. And so we shared the name of, you know, our daughter, and she loved it. And then she said, it's kind of an interesting connection, the name that you chose, because my girls, because Angela has two daughters, and she named her daughters M names, names that begin with M. And so Kiara's middle name was Morgan, beginning with an M, and crazy enough that that was going to be her first name. Anyways, like I said, we talked for almost two hours. And when we hung up, the counselor called us almost immediately. And she said, you know, in all my years of doing this kind of work, I have never been part of a conversation like this. Okay, so I'm probably going to get a little emotional because it takes me back to just everything, the prayers and how all along the way, I could see 
And I could feel that prayers were being answered. Well, almost immediately, well, definitely immediately, the day, the next day, Angela sent us a letter. And I thought I would read a couple of excerpts from the letter. She begins by saying, Dearest Gary and Kim, I want to thank you for your time last night. I can't begin to express how wonderful it was to speak with you for such a long time. To hear your stories of growing up, to just hear the kindness and happiness in your voice was such a pleasure. These are the voices that I think would soothe and guide this baby girl the rest of her life. I hope you are still interested in adopting my baby. I think you would provide a well-rounded life full of promise and happiness. I believe that the two of you would be fully dedicated to this child or any other child that may cross your path. So that's kind of how our journey started. And then Angela and I, we stayed in constant contact almost daily between November 9th and the day that Kiara was born. And as I mentioned, to prepare for today, I read through a lot of those emails and my goodness, it was kind of a walk down memory lane for me. And it was interesting that as we got closer to the day that Kiara was going to be born, I don't know if it was me or if it was Angela, but we started referring to the day that she was going to be born as (laughs) K-Day. It's so crazy. But through those emails, we grew closer and closer. And what was really cool was that I had shared that I had hoped the journey to adoption would be as close as possible to actually carrying a child in my own womb. And so in those emails, oftentimes Angela shared with me what was happening, what she was feeling, what Kiara was doing inside of her. Uh, She shared with me that she started calling Kiara by her name because she said, you know, at seven months, she will be able to start hearing my voice and I want her to hear her name. It just felt so right and so real. And I was just confident. I was confident that Kiara was the baby in Angela's womb and that we would be her parents. But of course, at the same time, I was filled with apprehension and trepidation. And when I finally shared what we were doing (laughs) with family members, they were cautiously supportive, which kind of fed that, that uncertainty. But every morning, every morning, I showed up and I prayed. And I asked Mary, the mother of Jesus, to just give me the grace, give me the courage, to give me the faith to keep walking the journey to K-Day, to trust the journey. By then, it was about December, and everything in the nursery was done. We had the crib, we had the, the bedding, and every morning and every night, I went into the nursery and I would kind of pat the blanket. And I said, I love you, dear one. And while I'm not carrying you in my womb, I'm carrying you in my heart. We finally met Angela in person. It was December 10th. We flew to Texas to meet her. 
we had decided that Gary and I would go to one of her doctor's appointments so that we could hear Kiara's heartbeat. Well, well, let me tell you, we were so nervous to meet, to meet her in person. But as soon as we did, the nerves just settled. I mean, the minute we saw her, we just, I mean, we, it was like we knew each other. It was just, it was uncanny the relationship and how it developed over daily emails. And then when we saw her, it felt like we had known her forever. Well, the doctor was amazing, absolutely incredible, so warm and welcoming. So we heard the baby's heartbeat. Well, I just started sobbing. I mean, I, that was my baby. And I heard her heartbeat for the first time. And the doctor said, all right, let, let's pull up uh, the sonogram. Let's, let's see what she's doing, what she looks like. Oh my gosh, guys, I, it was incredible. I saw her. And as soon as I saw her, cause she was kind of showing her, okay, this is her spine, you know, this is whatever part. And then we saw her face. And I said, I mean, I just blurted this out. I said, Kiara, it's mommy. Okay, like papers had not been signed. <laughs> I mean, we kind of had an agreement that, yes, we were going to be the adoptive parents of Angela's child. But I, I just, I didn't even think about it. I, it just came out so naturally. And when I said that, Kiara's eyes opened and closed, like weirdly intentionally, three times, three times. And even Angela said, she's never done that. Well, I truly believe that Kiara knew that her mommy was present. Well, I continued to pray every morning to Mother Mary. And I prayed for some specific things. We knew that Kiara's birth date was going to be February 9th. Angela was going to have a C-section. And one, we weren't sure that Gary and I would be able to come into the delivery room. So we didn't know if we were going to see Kiara being born. And then we thought, well, when she is born, if we are in the room, would it be awkward? Would it be uncomfortable? Who would the doctor give Kiara to? Would she give her to Angela? Would she give her to me? So I prayed about all of that. I also worried about the possibility of Angela bonding with Kiara when Gary and I had to leave the hospital after uh, visiting hours, you know, making it much more difficult for her to go through with the adoption. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I also had a lingering sadness that because of the way that our daughter was coming to us, that family couldn't be with us, that it was just going to be me and Gary. You know, like if I was pregnant and I went to the hospital to have the baby, you know, family was going to be there. That's how it worked when my sister had her five children. And that's how it worked when others, you know, that we love had their children. But it was just going to be me and Gary. And so I prayed about that too. You know, I asked Mary to help me to feel surrounded and covered by love and by family. So on February 8th, we flew to Texas. On February 9th, we went to the hospital. Now we were told the hospital was called 
Trinity Hospital. When we pulled in, the name of the hospital was actually Mother Francis Trinity Hospital. As we pulled in, I said to Gary, the name sounds Catholic. Mother Francis, that's like a sister, a nun. And then as we drove in front of the hospital looking for parking, we drove past a statue of the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Well, no faith denomination generally has statuary of the Holy Family except the Catholic religion. And so I knew immediately it was a Catholic hospital. And as we parked, there was this feeling that came over me. And I can't describe it. I wish I, I had the words to articulate what I felt. But immediately, I felt at home. And I knew that was the first prayer answered, that we were with family, our Catholic family of faith. Now, I was excited, (laughs) and I could not believe that this was happening. This was a dream come true. We had been on this journey for eight months, and I mean, here was the day, the day that our daughter was going to be born. Can you imagine? And it's not just an eight-month journey. It was a journey of, of, of years of thinking you're pregnant, not being pregnant, years of God saying no every month to your to my to my fervent prayers that we would get pregnant. And so here we were. This dream was coming true. But at the same time, my heart was still hard, still angry that I couldn't have my own child. And having the awareness as we were walking into the hospital that it was a Catholic hospital, that it was it was home. I, I can't explain it, but the hardness of my heart began to soften, began to melt. Well, we walked into the lobby and Angela was there and Angela's mother was there. And Angela's mother is amazing. And she just exuded love. She was just so warm to us. So we all went up to the labor and delivery room. And we were told that um, it wasn't certain that the doctor was going to allow us to come into the delivery room. Well, of course, my heart sunk. But I tried to just stay positive, right? And as we waited, there were just so many emotions. You know, um, I have a picture of me and Angela, and we're kind of like holding hands. Um, she's laying on um, a hospital bed, and I'm kind of leaning over. And I'll post um, that picture on our um, Instagram. But there were just, I mean, there was joy. There was fear, there was nervousness, there was love, there was compassion, like just so many conflicting emotions during that time. Well, the delivery team came into the room and they took Angela and we were asked to wait into wait in the waiting room. Now, I can't remember how much time passed, but eventually a nurse came in And she said, okay, the epidural did not work. And so the doctor has decided to put Angela completely under. And so we invite you to come into the room to watch your daughter come into the world. (laughs) And I thought to myself, oh my God, prayer answered. This is a miracle. It's not going to be awkward. It's not going to be uncomfortable. It's just going to be us, mommy and daddy, 
Angela is completely out, is asleep. And so I can just relax. I can be me. And that experience, I I just, I mean, absolutely incredible. I'll never, ever forget it. But I remember we kind of stood to the side and they kept saying, okay, keep breathing, keep breathing. And I was like, I'm fine. If you think I'm going to pass out, (laughs) don't worry. I am prayed up. And the doctor all of a sudden said, I see lots of hair. (laughs) We're like, oh my gosh. And then she pulled her out of Angela and lifted her up. And I just was overwhelmed with emotion. She brought her to us. And I was the first to hold my baby girl. After Kiara was born, they did some initial cleaning and things like that. But then the nurses invited Gary and I to follow them into the nursery where they give the babies like their first shot and take their footprints and handprints, where they give the babies their first bath. That was so amazing. And I remember thinking, how beautiful is this? If I had given birth, I would have been on a table somewhere being tended to, and I would have missed that entire experience. And then I got to feed her for the first time. And the crazy thing is, like, we took tons of pictures, you know. I mean, throughout her 19 years, we've taken tons of pictures. But on that day, oh, my gosh. What's crazy is she looks like us. She looked like us. She has my husband's family's hairline and chin. They have a very strong and pronounced chin. She has my nose. And Gary teases, you know, or he teased during that time that she had my feet because they were so long and my feet are pretty large. (laughs) But... It was just incredible. Anyways, after we fed her, the the nurses came to take her and said it was time for her to nap, to rest. The primary nurse found us and she said, I want to show you both something. And she took us to a little room and told us that the room was vacant And so if we wanted to stay in the room overnight until Friday, we were welcome to do so. And she said that Kiara would stay in the room with us. She was so apologetic that the room was small. But immediately I looked at Gary and I said, I feel like we're Mary and Joseph, but there's room at the inn. Well, the nurse smiled. And then I just said, I'm sure very overly enthusiastic. Yes, yes, we'll stay here. Yes, we'll take it. It's not too small. We're going to make it work. (laughs) As we walked out of the hospital to head to the hotel to pick up a couple of things, I thought about all the prayers that have been answered. I thought about the fear, the uncertainty, the apprehension. All of that started to melt away, to dissipate. The hardness of my heart, the anger that I had carried for so long, the bitterness was starting to melt away. And I just knew that Kiara was a gift that God was giving to us. Well, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Wednesday evening and all of Thursday into the night Thursday, those were the longest days ever. There were awkward moments, you know, just trying to make small talk, trying, you know, to pass the time away, 
trying to share Kiara and not like hoard her to myself, (laughs) which is what I wanted to do. I mean, this was my daughter. This was my girl. This, she is who I have waited for and prayed for and longed for. And I wanted to spend time with her, just myself and her with her daddy, you know, my husband. But we were, we spent a lot of time in Angela's room with Angela's uh, daughters, Angela's mom, um, her um, now ex-husband. And all the while, um, she had hoped that the birth father would come and visit and meet us and meet um, Kiara. But he never did. We never met Kiara's birth father. But then Friday came and I woke up nervous. I was feeling nervous and I was trying my hardest to just tap into the goodness that had already happened that week. And I prayed over Kiara And so we got up, we got her dressed. The doctor came in. He said he was going to release, he was releasing her to go home that day. And so I said to Gary, I think we should take her to Angela and let them spend some time alone so that Angela could say goodbye. And that's what we did. So we got her dressed, we blessed her, and then we took her to see Angela. And, and that's what I said to Angela. I said, we thought you would want some alone time so that you could say whatever you wanted to say and say goodbye. And Angela told us that it was going to be a difficult day. I mean, we knew that, but she just wanted me, I guess, to know that if she seemed cold or detached in any way that um, it wasn't personal, you know, that it was going to be difficult to say goodbye. So Gary and I went back to the little room and we packed up our things and I just didn't want to sit around waiting. So we went for a walk and the grounds of the hospital were just beautiful. So we walked all around, and then we happened upon a statue of a woman. And the woman was dressed in a nun's habit. And she kind of held the dress of her habit out like, like a shelter, if you will. And a little girl stood in the shelter of her habit. I thought it was an interesting depiction, you know, um, an interesting statue. And then I noticed that there was a plaque and it told the story of the woman. The woman's name was Frances Sidliska. She was a nun. She immigrated from Poland and settled in Chicago and worked initially at an orphanage. Well, there was a little girl at the orphanage who would always run up to Mother Frances and pull on her habit. And she would say, be my mommy, be my mommy. Well, the story continued. And it said that when Mother Frances was reassigned and she was to leave the orphanage, she adopted the little girl as her daughter. And as I read those words, I just, I can't explain it. I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And and through tears, I uttered, my God, I couldn't believe it. I mean, what are the chances? What are the odds that here we are at a hospital, a Catholic hospital, some 2,000 miles away from home, named after a Catholic woman, a nun, who adopted a daughter. And I was there to adopt a daughter. It was unbelievable. 
And I knew, I just knew that this was no coincidence. This was God's doing. Only God can do something like this. And in that moment, these are the words I heard. Just as if someone was standing right next to me, talking directly to me. The words were, this is why. This is why. I knew one day there would be a little girl who would need a mommy and a daddy, and I chose you. I had prayed for years. Why, God? Why? Why can't I have a baby? And in that moment, he answered me. And at the same time, there was just a healing warmth that just covered my entire body. I knew she was ours. And I felt just that hardness, that anger, that bitterness completely wiped away. My heart exploded. It just exploded with love and gratefulness, thanksgiving. I was so angry with God because of being infertile, unable to have a child. But now I understood why. We left the hospital that day with Kiara late in the afternoon, and she has been with us for 19 years. I am so blessed. During the journey to (laughs) K-Day, And after, because we, I am still in touch with Angela, we have uh, remained in contact. It's crazy how much we learned what we had in common. I mean, our birthdays. (laughs) We are both uh, May girls. We're both Geminis, which is crazy. We We both love the color purple. And it's interesting, too, that Kiara and my husband, Gary, have birthdays in the same month. And then the most insane connection of all is her name. And so I think it was in the spring, like maybe April or May, when Kiara was born, Some friends of um, ours uh, that had worked with Gary had come to visit. And one of the friends in conversation, she was holding Kiara and she said, you guys are so funny. And so I was like, what do you mean? And she said, you know, her name, how you came up with her name. And I was like, what do you mean? How did we come up with her name? And she said, Oh, you know, like the K-I of Kim and the A-R of Gary. And when she said that, I was like, wow, that's not how we picked her name. Now, much later, it was October or November. I was writing an article for the Adoption Agency's newsletter. It was a writing contest that they were having for... National Adoption Month. And so I was writing about, you know, the journey to adoption, meeting meeting our birth mother, the whole experience um, at the hospital. And as I wrote about the revelation of her name, and I typed the words that there's K-I of Kim and A-R of Gary, and it dawned on me that there was one letter left. A. A for Angela. I mean, her name literally connects us. And I can't remember what ethnicity it is, but in some ethnicity, Kiara means God's gift. 
And that's what she is, God's gift. Now, we have always been open with Kiara. I wrote a fairy tale that I read to her every night from the day she was born. I knew she obviously didn't understand it. And then as time went on and as she developed, we explained more and more about how we came together, how she came to us, that I didn't carry her in my belly. Um, And that's kind of what the the fairy tale um, explains. But she grew up learning that a special angel was the one who carried her and who gave gave her to us as a gift. Kiara has actually met Angela. Uh, Once when she was about three years old, we all went to Disneyland together. And at that time, she just knew that Angela was her special angel. And then again, when Kiara was 10, um, Angela came to California to visit with her youngest daughter, um, who was who was 15 at the time. And that was like just super crazy. We they came over to our home and we had dinner together, spent, you know, the day together. And it was so interesting watching um Angela's daughter and Kiara together. Like some of their mannerisms were very similar. The way that they laughed and connected was just, you know, like they were related, <laughs> which obviously they are. But let me just say this. The story of Kiara, the story of our adoption is no coincidence. I believe that that journey was ordained even before the time of my existence. For me and for Gary, this was God's will, God's gift, God's grace, God's answered prayers. But here's the thing about answered prayers. We have to tune in to ourselves. We have to tune into our inner beings to realize that it's not our doing that made all of this happen, but that it was part of God's plan for our lives. I have known since my daughter was born that she is destined for greatness. I can't wait to see what God has planned for her life. I know. I know it's going to be big. Answered prayer doesn't always mean yes. It doesn't mean that God is going to give exactly what we pray for. Sometimes when God answers prayers, it could be a yes. It could be a no. It could be not yet. But oftentimes, the Lord has something even better than what we are asking for. And in my six decades of life, I know that God hears our prayers. God knows our hearts. And so stay fervent and consistent in praying. Praying always, not just when you need something, but know that God will empower an answer that fulfills his will and his plan for your life, a plan for goodness and blessing, not for harm or hurt. 
And so maybe today, take a few spots of time to recall how God has answered your prayers. And if there is a prayer weighing on your heart, lift it up. He already knows, but he wants to hear your voice. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. Thank you, God. Thank you for this journey. Thank you for trusting and for choosing us to lead and guide our daughter to her ultimate destiny. Amen. This is the Spots of Time podcast, which is produced and hosted by me, Kim Scott. I invite you to go to our website, spotsoftime.net, and leave a comment about today's episode. What resonated? Did you hear anything that inspired you? And if we have inspired you today, you can support our work and help us continue producing this podcast by hitting the donate button on our website. You can listen to Spots of Time for free on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and invite your friends. Also, follow us on Instagram at Spots of Time Podcast. Production support, website development, and social media management by Alexis Jones. Our music, entitled Spots of Time was written by Michael Upward. Until next time, empower hope and healing.